0: And welcome to A Living Mind. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Maureen Flanagan. Now, Maureen's probably best known for portraying Evie on the sitcom Out of This World. It ran for four seasons. We discussed it because I've had some unanswered questions for over 30 years that I posed to Maureen. We also discussed all the fabulous guest stars on the show. Maureen also worked on 7th Heaven. Guest starred on ER, Northern Exposure. Boston Public, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And she made the um, decision to step behind the camera to become a filmmaker, a writer, executive producer. Her latest movie that she executive produced is called A Shot in the Arm. It's about the anti fax movement. And I posed um, the question to Maureen, why did she decide to step behind the camera? and how difficult it was for her to make that decision i really enjoyed my conversation maureen and i hope you do as well so maureen thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it
1: oh it's great to be here nice to meet you no
0: yeah so what does you're...
1: your shirt say eat uh, lightning
0: uh eat lightning crab thunder it's from rocky
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yes. Now yeah. I know who the face is. Yes. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. So c- kind of hiding it. Yeah. It's a little caricature of uh, yeah. Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, big Rocky fan. So, you
1: know. I like Rocky. Cool. I like all of Swart- um, Stallone's films.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy them. Yeah, definitely.
1: Although I didn't see um, The Expendables. Is that, is that the? Oh, yeah.
0: I think kind? I only saw the first one.
1: <laughs> it came up this weekend i was with my family and and i said what's what is that he's like done that franchise that's gone wild and i called it the dependables oh. and we laughed <laughs> right. because you know it's a good oh. commercial for depends probably
0: yeah i mean yeah some of the stars in those movies yeah are pretty much uh gonna need them soon so <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense i mean he must have more franchises than like anybody he's got so many it's crazy
1: he's he's just prolific he's i mean and he writes his stuff he produces his yeah. stuff. i really admire the guy like
0: yeah, yeah definitely definitely but someone like actually now is writing and producing his own tv show is uh someone you might know well is kirk cameron he right yeah he's right indeed very right um <laughs> he's uh developing a very conservative uh kids uh tv show and there's a video out now who basically a uh, pledge video asking you know for donations and stuff um you made a funny or die video about 12 13 years ago with some it's
1: that long work. ago already crazy
0: know. the time flies so I'll ask you are you wow. up? yeah are you still a cock
1: yes yeah well I guess it is k-o-c-c-k or something like that what was it, Kirk-
0: it was like child celebrities opposing Kirk Cameron. So That's yeah. right.
1: Child celebrities opposing Kirk Cameron. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen that commercial i or that um trailer or pledge. I'll have to check it out. Um Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Still
0: okay, good. Yeah. It's about 6 minutes, but you know, you only need to watch 30 seconds of it to realize, you know the contents of it yeah
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but um but before we kind of look back um you kind of switch roles uh, these days you know you, now you're writing producing directing your own stuff and one of the most recent things is executive producer of a uh, shot in the arm yeah yeah uh, anti vax uh documentary about the movement and um it's crazy to think how um facts in this country and science seem to be very boring But the truth seems to be very boring. That's why people have a loud voice to kind of make up their own conspiracies and stuff like that. So what got you involved in the documentary?
1: Well, let me just clarify something. I am the executive producer of Black Valley Films. So I oversee all the films that we do at the company with Scott Hamilton Kennedy, who's the director. And Shot in the Arm is our most recent film. Um, And I just... I came on in post-production. So I was not a part of um, the original. um, It originally started out as a measles film, I guess, to just put it in black and white terms, which is funny because um, I talk a lot about nuance. Um, The film talks a lot about the importance of nuance. Um, But Scott was seeing a huge... He started questioning why has why have there been uh, states of emergency in New York and Washington around measles vaccines? Shouldn't didn't we eradicate that disease? And he did his research and was like, I think there's a uh, a story here. And I don't know if you know who's who Scott is. Not uh, you know you got to be kind of a documentary geek, but he's an Oscar nominated director of a great film called the garden and a lot of his films have been kind of la based los angeles based i'm a na- native los angelino as well and he's from the he's from the bay area but he's a californian and his wife is a teacher Catherine boric of in compton unified at Dominguez hills high school and a lot of his films have been his first film was when they were courting uh, it's called OT, Our Town, and then he went on to do Fame High School, and um, so I love, I just, I love his work. Like, I'm a big fan of his, and- Okay, when, oh, I found this on the web, for he started questioning why has, why have there been a state of emergency in New York and Washington around measles, vax. vaccine? decided I needed her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there, the escape key does it. So let me start again. Um- Anyway, Scott's been doing, he's been sh- shooting documentary for a long time and I love his work. I'm a huge fan. And um, the opportunity ca- to ca- came up to be part of his company and um, he's there's no one doing this film. I mean, he's the only filmmaker I know who's, I mean, there's been what you call COVID films, but this really isn't a COVID film shot in the arm Is started out as a measles why is there a measles state of emergency in new york and and washington um and he went he covers a segment in samoa i don't know if you know this but in the film we cover it um there was a measles epidemic in 2019 and he traces the timeline of robert kennedy jr's uh influence on that and the conspiracy theory and the children's defense fund and all this stuff. And there were measles two basically little preferences, two children were um given the measles vaccine and died. And it's a terrible tragic story. Um but luckily it ended up I mean and sadly it's kind of bittersweet, but it was human error. The the nurses actually ended up being uh giving the kids mixing the MMR vaccine with a, um, expired muscle relaxant. And, but it took a long time to figure that out. And before that it just caught fire and RFK Jr. You know, was connecting the dots between He's saying, Hey, it's the vaccine that killed these kids. Like without verifiable fi- science, without, you know, just, holding your role for a minute and checking in with the experts they're just jumping to conclusions and so i don't know we just seem to be in a time when we're jumping to conclusions and what is truth is a really exciting question for me and so as a filmmaker myself um i'm excited by films that deal in the gray rather than the black and white is kind of the long way to it and so i found myself uh yeah fastidiously producing shot in the arm and trying to get it out there in the world and i hope everybody goes and sees it because it's it's a fabulous film i mean again i had nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. i came on in post-production but scott and the team did an amazing job
0: yeah i'm looking forward to to seeing it definitely and it's crazy to think Although he's not going to win, that RFK Jr. is going to play a pretty big part in the election coming up in November.
1: Looks like it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, kind of. It is crazy. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. We're kind of. I'm just I love science. I'm a fan of science. Um, uh, I'm a fan of science because it doesn't matter if I'm a fan or not. It just is yeah the data is what the data is whether i believe it or i don't believe it um just like gravity's going to keep working upon me whether i believe in it or don't believe in it um and yeah it makes me sad to think that we're in such a polarized society i mean every day at work i i'm on the phone talking about vaccines i'm talking to major the experts i'm talking to I mean, these incredible heroes, in my opinion, people who brought the vaccine to us in 14 days, not 14 days, 14 months. And it saves lives like and it's a shame, you know, public health certainly uh, was under has been underfunded for decades. And so they didn't have education out there. And that just multiplied with a vacuum, a lack of information while a pandemic was happening, it just caused this perfect storm where there was a vacuum that the you know, anti-vax movement and the makers of it with the conspiracy theorists, just were able to kind of go in and suck up all the oxygen and you know, our institutions have been failing us. They're they're imperfect, but they're we live in a country that has like clean water clean streets we have lines on the road that make us go straight ahead like right. if you go to India or Turkey or anywhere like they don't have lines on the road they're just right. going like this do you know how much harder it is to drive on the road when there's no lines on it it's crazy right.
2: yeah
1: um so you know we don't my thing is like don't throw the baby out with the bath water right like it's not all or nothing per- perfect doesn't the end any the good like Perfect is the enemy of the good. Like we just need to take it all in and understand that life just isn't black and white. I mean, that's my my dad told me that, right? He's like, life doesn't go in a linear fashion. It's it's in circles, right? It's everything kind of works its way around and comes back again. Um, and I'll never forget that lesson he taught me. So, anyway, enough about that. But yeah, that's what I'm doing.
0: All right, great. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And you think about social media now where everything is just black and white. There's really no gray area, you know, and people don't have conversations anymore. It's yelling at each other and you wouldn't have that same, you know, conversation like face-to-face. It'd be in front of a keyboard. So I feel like we we lose that, you know, human like, you know, uh, ability now. Well, we've lost the ability
1: to look each other in the whites of the eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's, um, that's, so I, you know, I may get a, I mean, even in my age, like, I still call people, right? I prefer the phone, not to say that texting and emailing, they're wonderful, amazing um, communication tools, but there's a study that says you lose, I think. 70% 70% of communication when you're not face-to-face with in front of a person. Right. I mean, video works video. This yeah. is a great solve, right? This right. zoom and yeah. it's a great solve when we have to be separated. Um, there still is an element though, when you're in front of a person, um, that you have to really know what you're talking about be respectful because, other things can happen. It's not safe, right? So we yeah. there's our filters in place. So I think that's where we've kind of lost some of it, right.
0: I mean, technology is great and there's a place for it, but you have to kind of incorporate it and don't let it take over you know your entire world. But I mean, it was never a good time to have a pandemic, but to have the technology we did and do have now during the pandemic was was great,
1: yeah, well, Zoom wasn't Zoom before yeah. the pandemic. Right. I don't know if you remember that, but, yeah the pandemic made zoom right exactly i mean technology that kind of technology because the need was there flourished and nobody is condemning zoom for getting that technology happening too fast right right?
2: exactly
1: proof is like it works um yeah yeah. and so back to vaccines for just Hmm. a second is i i hear a lot of um of friends of mine, more like, you know, I call them barbecue friends, like people I play (laughs) basketball with, or I'm out, you know, ancillary friends, not like my inner circle really. But when I tell them, um, you know, I'm working on a pro science pro vaccine film, their first question to me is, and it's great. We get to have a dialogue, right? It's, it's kind of amazing. And their first question is, yeah, but I mean, they got it out so quickly. Their concern is around how quickly the vaccine came out. And to their defense, there was no education. There was nothing. that they Public health has been defunded for so many decades. There's just been no money to educate us every day of the year that people have been working on mRNA technology for over a decade. Right two decades working on and for cancer by the way working on vaccines to help combat cancer and if that kind of publicity and marketing had been put that kind of money been put out for the MMR vaccine I don't think we'd be where we are today in any anyway, that the anti-vax peddlers would have a harder uphill battle agreed Getting their message across because the public would be more educated; they'd have more knowledge behind them, and that's that's yeah. the failure on the institution part.
0: Right. No, I I agree I don't blame them
1: for that. It's right. Not... Yeah, I mean, we're human beings. We have patterns. We we're just pattern people. We have to jump to conclusions. Totally. <laughs> to, to make sense of our world, right? Right.
0: Yeah, and you know, during the pandemic, you know, we have the first responders and essential workers and. People kind of forget that uh, supermarket workers were essential workers during that time, and you made a very short video about your cousin Lizzie, the cashier. And, I did. Yeah, and she works um, twenty years at a um, supermarket. It's you know, it's a fantastic video. Check it out. It's it's on uh, Maureen's website. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So, what drew you to like making a, a movie about your cousin?
1: Well, she's just there's nobody like her. Um, when you're around Lizzie, you just feel like a million bucks, right? She's just, Hmm. that's who she's always been. Um, and she's, I, she works, she's a public person. Like she works in Hmm. public, right? She's public facing. And if you were her boss, like she's this star employee. She just wants everyone to feel good. And, and she's a hard worker. Like she really just doesn't, um, um, she doesn't complain about things. And so I wanted to, it was before the pandemic that I, you know, before any of that happened, I did this in 2018 and I, I wanted to celebrate her 20 years of working in the same job. Cause I thought, gosh, who really keeps the same mm-hmm. job anymore their whole life. Right. Yeah. And my dad did, but my dad's 92. My mom did. Um, but that's an era that's kind of yeah. on. I mean, some people might, but I think companies more uh, go through, you know, tightening the screws and laying you off. Right. Um, if, even if you wanted to stay with a company that long, I just don't, it doesn't seem like that happens very much anymore, that we're a culture of Constantly moving around in new jobs. And I just wanted to celebrate the fact that there were folks out there in some jobs where they do, and she's perfect for that job. Right. And so I just wanted to capture that for her. And she's always been a fan of mine. She loves Mm -hmm. my work. And she's always like, How are you doing? What's the latest thing? You keep going, you know, even when it was just like slow times. Mm And so I just wanted to give her a video and show her what a how everybody really loves her and and then it turned out in hindsight when I was editing it that you know the pandemic I had time to cut oh. it together I was like holy cow like they were there I mean you saw those photos of like yeah. when I was there and then after like the right. cupboards were the there was, yeah you kind of forget how crazy that first six months was yeah
0: like everyone you know hoarding toilet paper and and whatnot it was it was impossible to get I mean here it was like everything was limit one limit one and you know you were lucky to find some things
1: yeah and it took like that for that to happen yeah no problem and people go bonkers no problem yeah um and yet there are people that you know they can't afford a so many things happen in my, my job at Black Eyed Films. It's amazing there. I learned so many new things, but I, at that time I didn't have to go into work. Like I could work remotely and I was an independent filmmaker at that time. So like my circumstances allowed me to the to the, you know, the luckiness to just be able to be at home. I didn't have to go to work and, and, de- and expose myself to something that was life-threatening um so i just wanted to also celebrate those workers that we need food right we don't we're not an agrarian uh, uh civilization anymore we go to the grocery store to get our food right yeah. so yeah
0: <laughs> and we just assume that it's going to be there you know if everything will be there it, it might not have a brand, but at least you know Chicken will be there, or milk, or you know, anything. And then when you go there and you realize it's not there, it's it pretty scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is scary. It's, it's, it's pretty creepy. So yeah, it was just a little something to celebrate Lizzie.
2: Yeah. No, it
0: was great. How much uh, video did you actually shoot of her?
1: Oh gosh, of that, I shot a lot. I shot like over a week with her. I shot her at her house. I shot her at work, and I went back and forth, like, what am I, and I, I the fact that Kroger allowed me to shoot in, in there was, t- is a testament to how, what a, um, cherished employee she is. Cause they, I mean, as a producer, I know about how expensive it is to get a permit to, and the permission to shoot in there with all those people. Like now, it back in the day, you could do that, but today, and they were like, yeah, celebrate Lizzie. It's her 20th anniversary it was amazing so I really decided I wanted to focus on just her work a day in the life of Lizzie's yeah. sense of life kind of thing like because I don't think we really I didn't think about what it's like to work at a grocery store and I spent all day there with her and I was like man I'm beat you're on your feet all day yeah. and dealing with people and different moods and making sure the money's right. And I, I got a lot of stories from her. Like I interviewed her too, but I really liked how she was interviewing the, her yeah, customers. right? And then they would actually ask questions about her because they found out it was her 20th anniversary and they'd go, oh, how'd you get started? And I just, I liked seeing that happen on screen rather than me off camera asking questions.
0: Right. Yeah. It's just seemed very like, you know, personable and very, you know, just like, she was very open about everything, which was great. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So what made you like decide to like start this journey of your career? Like, you know, basically, you know, not become, not being an actress anymore and just, you know, find scenes.
1: Um, gosh, it was a, it was like a 10 year process, honestly. I think it was a confluence of, um, it became i you know i wasn't getting work like i used to and i needed to figure out how to make money and i was living in new york at the time and i even asked my friends my actor friends i was like how do you guys make money i mean i started when i was 10 so i was right. like it sounds kind of silly but at age 30 i was like how do you make money if you can't make money at acting anymore like how do you supplement your income and they're like oh we do temp work and i was like oh so I went to a temp agency and that kind of shifted my perspective for the first time of like, oh, there's a whole other world out there that I haven't explored. And for a minute, I thought, oh, I'm just going to throw all this out and I'm going to just go in the corporate world and do my nine to five and not have to like hump my butt for a job every time it ends. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's a whole process running right. the payment. It gets tiring. Um. So it was like that exposure, the less jobs happening. I think we had, you know, there was a couple, a strike, the commercial strike and everything went to reality TV. So the jobs really went down. Like movie stars now took over the roles that I was getting in TV and it kind of just pushed everybody down the ladder. And it was just not looking pretty. And I, I was just really trying to take an assessment of, this in as a as a sales like a product, and like trying to look at it from the producer side and be like, "Where do I put Maureen in?" And it was a really I just I think I finally saw that it was a bad business model. Mm-hmm. so um, it wasn't easy it it was. Tearful. Um, it took about 10 years to kind of make the transition, but um yeah, it was kind of like unrequited love. Like I was in love with acting and acting didn't right. love me back. Like hmm. the jobs didn't love me back. Hmm. And I just didn't, I wanted to work all the time. I love working and I had sitting around and waiting for a job um did not suit my personality at all. And So I kind of went around thinking I was going to get go away from acting completely go in the corporate world. And I was like, no, storytelling. I'm a storyteller. Like I've always been before I became an actor at age 10. Um, So I got a job as a PA um, on a reality TV show. Okay. And I thought I sold my soul to the devil (laughs) because I was wrangling a bunch of non-actors who were just like kind of messy in their lives. Um, and I was like, what am I doing? This is insane. Like, this isn't even art, right? Like, I just didn't feel like that was art. Um, but I stuck in reality TV. I, I ended up kind of, I really enjoyed the responsibility I had. I was learning, you know, I I realized I learned knew so much about um the the set because I grew up on it so like there really wasn't a learning curve for me it was just more like how do I fill out the paperwork and it was more like oh my god you mean this is everything that happens to get this going and I went from PA to production coordinator to production manager and um I, I was like, oh yeah, I don't really want to just keep doing the paperwork part of it. Like I really like the creative. I need to get back to storytelling and I'm, you know, directing and being a part of that. So I realized I liked, I liked journalism actually. Okay. So during the pandemic, I, I went back to school and studied some journalism. Um, I studied cinematography and it was just kind of, poking around in the other parts of the business and um ultimately I think producers really I'm well suited for it and I love I think my acting has really helped with like pitching projects developing projects writing I know how scripts are formatted and storytelling you know the arc of the story and acts and um yeah so I just I really like then I just started working all the time and it felt so good. And I, I am using all parts of myself, not to say that as an actor, you're not using all parts of yourself, but I just never knew that I had the capacity to do all this other stuff and it feels so good. So that's how I found myself as an executive producer of documentary films.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Now, will there ever be a chance you know, you get the itch against actors that completely gone.
1: Oh, no, it's there. I mean, I love acting. That will never go away. Um, Playing, you know, becoming a a character, getting to step inside the shoes of somebody that I don't live in my daily life is there couldn't be anything more fun than that. Um, Playing with other people and uh, being on set like that. I would love the opportunity to do that, but it would have to be something pretty special, I think. And um you know cameos or mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i write myself something maybe mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. it's funny i'm not i don't itch for it the way i really i was scared that i would i thought right. i'd be kind of longing for it for the rest of my yeah. life but i right. luckily don't i mm-hmm. i really appreciate when i go see a movie i'm like dang that was a good that was great yeah. Like, what a good film. And I really, really know what it took to make that come, right. get on screen. Now. Like, there's a whole other appreciation.
0: Yeah. But this is, I work in television, like, in, like, you know, sports and, you know, TV news and stuff like that. So when you watch a program, you, much like you watch a movie, you're thinking about everything else, maybe, but actually the content sometimes. And right. I, sometimes, right. like, that ruins, that ruins So do you get do you get that sometimes you kind of just shut off your brain and just like I want to just enjoy this movie not well maybe the shots off and maybe you know some content Uh like that
1: yeah for the most part I turn that off I mean uh, it doesn't it does it's kind of like I mean when when something's kind of half assed or not that great. I you know I'm probably much more snobbier piggier about it than other people like I just don't let it roll off my back like water off a duck's back but
2: Yeah.
1: Um but if something it, I I mean Scott and I talk about this my boss and I always talk about this it's like uh when story's good story's good and it really doesn't matter if the shot's kind of off or right um it's not the highest quality what matters is sound right can I hear yeah, Can you hear people? it yeah and are you they, in focus?
0: Yeah, exactly. But, you want to be able. But to if see-
1: it's video versus like 4K, 8K, you know, light, no, yeah. it really actually doesn't matter. I think that's what you know the phone has taught us is that you can do movies on this and yeah. be captivated on a screen this small too. Right, just kind of cool.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty much how you know my kids watch your content like on the phones yeah you no know? and it's like we get oh, we always wanted big screen tv 70 inch whatever and then now it's yeah. like a you know five inch screen that people are yeah. watching so it's it just it's kind of kind of funny that way <laughs> yeah yeah but um let's go out of this world and sure. my main question which has been bugging me for over 30 years now what happened to uncle bino
1: oh uncle bino
0: rest in peace joe but what happened to him
1: yeah. Joe Alasky. Yeah. Joe is great. I am dear friends with his niece, Trisha Um And um, I don't know. I wish Joe was here to tell his story. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really hearsay, but, but it's, I was yo- so young at the time, like right. a lot of the stuff was just out of my purview. But from what I gather, I think this is the way Joe would tell it. I think um, he he wanted to lose weight.
2: Okay.
1: He started losing weight or something. Yeah, he like did. Yeah. I think he got. I, I. It's not. It wouldn't be beneath the character of the producers. Let's put it that way. To like the story tracks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the story tracks. If, if yeah. But. He wanted to lose weight and the producers said no your character's fat
2: hmm. and
1: if you start losing weight you're not funny anymore and uh you're off the show oh. and i don't know if he quit or if they fired him didn't renew his contract but that's ultimately what happened i think that's what i hear
0: wow that's just that's a shame because one day he was there and the next he wasn't I know so it was like the old uh, Chuck Cunningham thing from uh, happy days goes up yeah. and he's gone so that's it's unfortunate and then you end up having a new uncle that, yeah yeah
1: yeah it's like what, what uh, these yeah he's like, out of the woodwork
0: yeah <laughs> yeah and then the show also I don't know if it was intentional but ended on a cliffhanger where your mom you know goes in the tube and she goes back into space, and you're stuck with your dad, and then the show ends. So, what, what was it supposed to be like ended on a cliffhanger like that, or this show just got canceled? What happened?
1: Yeah, it's you know, I'm sorry, I don't have better answers. That's okay. Um, yeah, being a kid, you don't, you're not paying attention to this stuff when you're on the right, shows. You yeah. have to ask, like, Donna Pascal, um, yeah, because uh, she, she wouldn't, she knows she knows all that stuff, but um, to be honest, I w- couldn't even tell you what the last episode of the show was, so I'm glad you did. Oh, wow, me.
2: okay,
1: yeah, okay. like it, I it's kind of weird how many shows I don't remember doing. Yeah. Like, I have friends who are like, Remember the show, and I was like, I have no idea no. what you're talking
2: about, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> um, and I, I think because as a kid, I mean, I was going to school full time doing a show full-time, you know, becoming a, was a young adult, like exploring, dating, you know, I had yeah. a lot of other things that I was excited about. College right. was next. And so I just was like, you know, what's next? Um, so yeah. Okay. It ended on a cliffhanger. That's interesting. You know, there's really no rhyme or reason. Honestly, we, yeah. some of the things that happened on the show, we were like, how does, why is this? Right who's this guy is my uncle now. And why, you know, that I don't know. I Mm -hmm. don't know because it wasn't canceled from what I understand. It was that, I mean, it was canceled, but the idea was that it had reached a hundred episodes and it was a syndicated show. And I guess in the syndicated world, once you reach a hundred, to spend money on new shows, there's no ROI anymore. Really. And Which doesn't make sense because law and order, right? Still going,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Like, so clearly there's an ROI. So something got canceled. Right. But that was the story we were told. Like, oh, we reached 100 episodes. So, we're, you know.
2: Yeah, we're we're done. done. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. So I don't know why the cliffhanger. Maybe they thought it would come back.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, are you, like, surprised that, like, it didn't get remade? Because every show now gets remade.
1: Um. Yes and no. I really don't think about that stuff too much. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of remakes anyway, so I'm kind of yeah. secretly happy, but not so secret now. But right. But... Of, like, yeah, okay. It retains yeah. it its... Uh, it, it gets to stay in the time capsule. Yeah. Um, I What I was surprised about is why I didn't like dvds come out or why didn't it go streaming why did reruns happen again um and that oh christina who's now christina johnson but christina nigra and i christina is a lawyer now uh and she went on a sleuthing a little sleuthing side jaunt to find out why and it and it turned out i mean I even talked to the producer and he said, because he really wanted it. I mean, it was to his benefits, to his benefits, to the show to come back on. And he said something to do with music rights, that it wasn't the, to, to swing on a star song because he had that in perpetuity from Bing Crosby's estate. Okay bob the rights apparently but it's the stingers do you know what music stingers are so the in between for those who are watching don't know it's the in between like that transitions you between shots and apparently wow that's the hang up
2: that's weird (laughs) and
1: so they would have to cut it all out right like take those stems out they'd have to redo them pay and the the whole part of paying for that to happen is not a cost benefit so
0: yeah you figure with 100 episodes there's probably five to six fingers per episode you know and that's and that's crazy wow.
1: yeah so yeah. whoever owns it i think it's uni- whoever owns universal now um they're like this doesn't make sense on paper no next
2: yeah <laughs>
0: right well i mean you can watch them on youtube if you know pe- people uh want to check it out but yeah yeah but before streaming there were like, we talked about syndication and i don't think anyone really knows what syndication is right. anymore it's like when i guess
2: this it still, uh, exists. It still it's does still
0: yeah you know game shows and stuff like that and like like entertainment tonight and like you know those shows the court you know the courtroom shows but um NBC tried something new where they had your show and a couple others start at 7.30 before like the real prime time starts right. to go against uh, Entertainment Tonight and then the um, uh, like Je- Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and stuff like that. And I think your show was like one of the only to make it to another season, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were. And then, so we were on Monday nights before the Cosby show. That was a, the pole position. I think yeah that was like a big night of TV watching everybody sat around the TV on monday nights i guess after a hard day's work and school and um so primetime always starts at 8 and goes till 10 11 p.m i think is the the window uh, primetime means they can charge more more people are watching at that time and and they meaning the broadcast companies can charge more for ad buys right per 30 second commercial spots. And anytime outside that, the price kind of goes down. So they were, it was just a marketing ploy, but they were like, primetime starts at 7 30. Mm-hmm. And we led the week. We, our show was on at 7 30 to eight, and then Cosby was on. And then the rest of the week, they had other shows that yeah. went on at 7 30 before their primetime shows. And then they started doing a whole block. So they did a 7 and mind you this was in LA. So it could have been different all around the country. But in LA they did out of this world at 7 to 7:30 and out of this world again from 7:30 to 8. So we had a whole hour for a while.
0: Okay. Yeah cuz I grew up in New York and I think it was on Wednesday nights. Okay. Yeah, they showed
1: Yeah, so syndication yeah. For those listening is you're selling to individual markets all across the country. And if you look country, there are thousands of markets. Mm. So, um, that's a big job for a sales agent. And when you're on national TV, your simul, your program simultaneously broadcast at the same time across all different time zones on the same station at the same time, which is the ideal situation.
0: Yeah absolutely and then you know obviously burt reynolds played your father troy is not never... so
1: obviously no because not many people know that
0: yeah i mean it took it's the first season you had really no idea but then yeah. as the show progressed you kind of recognized his voice you know i think they just kind of didn't hide it anymore he just was burt reynolds and i think they credit him as just being troy in the yeah. credits like as himself but uh he didn't
1: even have a credit yeah yeah no, right. as himself or something like that
0: right because he he was probably doing what evening shade or something at that point and probably couldn't uh, um, get credit or something
1: no evening shade was after that was it
0: after that okay all right wow look, you, look at you
1: evening shade you're really pulling out the oldies
0: oh yeah i'm pulling <laughs> oh yeah totally <laughs> did you um ever meet him or like work with yeah. him yeah
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, we did some um, vo sessions, voiceover sessions. Okay, you know. right. Very nice guy. He's mm-hmm. our sweetheart.
0: That's cool. And then the show had a lot of uh, great guest stars. Uh,
1: oh my god, I didn't yeah. really appreciate that until after.
0: Right. I mean, uh, like Scott Carpenter, who was what the second guy to uh, orbit the orbit the Earth, I believe, and uh, Mr. Uh, T- yeah,
1: he's an astronaut, Scott yeah. Carpenter. And then, we had yeah. Mill Miller. We had Florence Henderson, who was yeah. played Mrs. Brady. Right.
0: Yeah, Norman Spell, um, who was Mr. Roper on Three's Company.
2: Norman Spell. <laughs> yeah.
1: We had um, God, we had so many people. Tom Bosley, who played yeah. Mr. Cunningham on Happy Days. Yeah. Had,
0: right. Uh, Betsy um, before, who was your grandmother, who was Jason Voorhees' mother in <laughs> Friday Thirteenth. So,
1: yes, I
0: had, had a lot. Yeah,
1: so, I mean w- some real characters. Yeah, Mr. T, yeah. he was yeah. awesome. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, was was he the like the one that stood out to you the most, Mr. T? Yeah, because.
1: Well, I knew him. He was like contemporary. Right. Everybody else, I mean, except for Florence, Florence Henderson, I, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Carol Brady!" Like, yeah. and Tom Bosley, I was like, right. "Oh my God!" Yeah. Um. Everybody else was a little earlier than me. I mean, I knew they were legends, but it didn't have that same. I mean, Donna Donna Pesca. I was like so nervous when I first met her because I was a big fan of Angie, and I was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah. Um but yeah mr t was just an an icon right like such a big personality and an icon and he couldn't he was so sweet just Mm -hmm. the nicest guy and he was so funny he he came to set and he he had the whole gold the the tank top and the gold but i noticed that it was like a lot thinner than his normal kind of mane of gold and i said Correct me if I'm wrong but like this seems a little you don't have all your gold and he's like yeah. are you kidding like there's no way I could wear all that around my neck I'd right. I'd break my back like it's so bad <laughs> for my posture and he said this all this is fake like what he wore around his neck Oh wow looking at was fake and he goes see how light it is like this isn't going to You know it was a bodybuilder so right. he was really con- I, you know I put tune together like yeah the guy's really conscious of his posture and he says, look over there. And it was literally behind the, se- the stage. Like they built these walls where, you know, and the back is just wood. It looks like this. And it was between two frames like this. And there was this grocery like a crumpled up brown paper bag, <laughs> bag. And he goes, go, go get that. And I was like, okay. I went over and I picked it up and it was really heavy. And he opened it up and it was all his gold chains. He goes, that's, oh, wow. the, re-. he goes, that's the real stuff.
0: So he just puts it on when he shoots.
1: He just puts it on and he shoots and um, he, he keeps it in a paper bag.
0: Wow. That's <laughs> not even a suitcase or anything like that. Or... No,
1: but it was genius because yeah. who the hell is going to look at it? looks like probably old food. Who's going to yeah. look at that bag for gold?
0: Right. Well, at least, you know, they didn't throw it out, assuming it was old food. So at least they got lucky there.
1: <laughs> well, it's heavy. They would have probably looked yeah. in there. He had right. his eye on it. It wasn't like. I'm
0: sure. Yeah. <laughs> right or had someone you know watching him definitely <laughs> yeah but but after that you kind of uh did a 180 degree turn and starred in uh teenage bonnie and klepto five yeah
1: with a yeah. uh,
0: very young scott wolf um
1: this is first first big thing i think yeah
0: yeah yeah, it was, yeah. he was
1: on evening shade by the way after that
0: oh he was oh wow okay
1: so he ended up meeting yeah. for it.
0: Yeah, he that actually worked directly with. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we had that in common.
0: Right now, with a movie like that, was it like kind of fun playing a role that wasn't like Evie? Kind of like oh, breaking yeah. the role? Yeah, oh, killing yeah. smoking. You know, sex scene. So it was a blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I wanted to do the completely opposite of Goody Two Shoes, Evie Garland.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, what did you expect from that movie? Like
1: anything? What did I expect? No, I really didn't expect m- much from it. I just hoped mm-hmm. people enjoyed watching it. Um. Yeah, no, it was like, mm-hmm. that was my first movie I got to make. It mm-hmm. was, it was on film. um, <laughs> And yeah, everyone was great to work with. We shot it in Utah. I don't know it was more like in between uh it was summer between college so yeah
0: yeah <laughs> cool and then we talked about you know obviously syndication of the show and syndication with star trek these base nine played another alien and um but yeah. yeah. and yeah. you're fortunate playing an alien that didn't have to go through too much makeup you just had you know the ridges on the nose. oh
1: no well yeah i was fortunate for just that part yeah. but i have whole wig on which okay whole thing and right like, pins and like it, there's a lot of waiting on that show on those shows like you're a lot of downtime you're just sitting there like in these uncomfortable costumes and um but yeah that was that was really fun I got I had done a series before that called push that got canceled right after two episodes a one hour for ABC and um, we had high hopes. We Everyone had really high hopes for that show and alas, in Hollywood, it didn't go. It yeah. Just... Um, And so one of the producers of that show was producing on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and he was like, oh, I want you to do this. And I was like, oh, that's so great, thank you. So we had a great time. It was really fun.
0: Now, if there was streaming back then, a lot of the shows, possibly you worked on stuff like that wouldn't see you know a complete season they would just you know release it all at once and do you think that's beneficial like now i mean the fact that so many shows now are streaming shows you don't even hear about you know someone's like oh you watched the show i'm like no never heard of it what is it on because there's so many streaming sites so it's a lot of you know work for actors i mean the pay might not be great but there's a lot of work now
1: You know, I don't know, Joel, because I'm not in the game anymore, really. Um, From the outs, like from a producer standpoint, I would say when I was doing TV, like pilots, they used to do 300 pilots, like all the networks combined. So you had the four, uh, Fox, yeah, Fox is in there, but ABC, NBC i um, sorry, that's my phone. ABC, NBC, CBS, and then Fox. To combine, there were 300 pilots that you would do, and I think 20 shows would go, 20 to 25. Right. I think the numbers now are, maybe they do 12. They don't even do pilots anymore. They're like sizzles, and mm. pay- you got paid a lot when you did a pilot. Um, if the show got picked up, you got paid I and mean, then obviously you wanted the show to go but you made a lot of money doing that whether the show didn't go or not so it sustained you <laughs> excuse me streaming as an actor you have to be like you have to be a a megastar at this point um to be making like you know over the amount of money that right Networks, network TV is still where the money's at, but um, yeah, the numbers have gone down in terms of how many pilots and they may say yes to to three or four on network television. Um, is there more work now for actors? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, a prop, maybe that's probably yeah. the same, maybe more, but the pay scales, you know, it's the pay scale has gone like this while well, the, maybe okay. the amount of jobs have gone up, so yeah i guess right.
0: yeah right i guess it went from shooting the pilots to just going to streaming then i guess so maybe it just balanced out
1: yeah well what streaming did was um there's no longer a as a pilot season right. so in traditional you know network television you would have your your pilot season and then everything would get ready to launch and August and September and you had your upfronts in May and all this stuff. And they don't really, it's all year round now. There's no season, which I right. don't think that really I don't know if that really makes such a big difference, but um, because it's nice to have series all yeah. year round.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Streaming, I don't know. Maybe I don't have the data on that.
0: Right. Yeah. And so so what are you working on
2: now?
1: Oh, I'm still working on shot in the arm. Okay. Still doing that. I'll be working on we have our PBS broadcast. We're gonna premiere on PBS in August. So okay. um I lead our outreach and engagement campaign on the film, which means I focus our storytelling on on grassroots movement of helping raise vaccine confidence and educating, doing the education that I was talking about up front yeah. about helping the public health community educate vast swaths of the community around the vaccine curious we're not out there trying to persuade someone who's staunchly in the i'm an anti you know vaccine person we're not trying to convince you to be other than that it's just if you're curious if you're concerned that your mom you know you're a new mom and you're concerned about getting vaccinated we hold events screening events with um health practitioners and you can watch the film and we have, you know, the amazing thing about storytelling and documentary is it humanizes experts because we we tell their personal stories, but we also have stories with women like Karen Ernst and Blima Marcus, who are mothers and women and professionals fighting anti-science beliefs and their personal stories, how they got into um, fighting for science. Um, And it, it allows for empathy. Like you can relate their personal stories. That's the amazing thing about documentary. And so we have meaningful restorative discussions afterwards. And so, yeah, I'm doing that for the rest of the year.
0: That's great. Well, I wish you a ton of luck with that. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. I
1: really appreciate it today. Yeah, I appreciate that your time, too, that what you're doing out there. It's fun. People, I'm sure, love hearing from us oldies. Oldies but goodies.
0: And a special thanks to Maureen for joining me today. For more information, check out her website, maureenflanagan.com. If you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on X, formerly Twitter, at the first 019, or like the page Really My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, Facely, wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out soon. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.